Well, good morning. It's good to see so many smiling faces, only a couple frowns. Don't worry, we got time to turn those upside down. Welcome to those of you joining us online as well, wherever you are, Michigan, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Texas, Missouri. We got pockets uh, watching in many different places. Welcome to you. I'd like to give a, a special shout out to my main sweetheart and my four little sweethearts. Happy early Valentine's Day to you. Some of you are like, oh, wait, Valentine's Day. It's not today. It's tomorrow. You still got time. 1-800-Flowers, Edible Arrangements, Walgreens. <laughs> you ever seen Walgreens on Valentine's Day? It's like 50 dudes in there like, I can't believe there's no more chocolate. <laughs> the only cards they got is like, I love my dog. <laughs> Don't worry, it's not your fault. Valentine's came early this year. Some of y'all got it. It took a little, it took a second. You're like, good to be with you this morning. And uh, we are in our series, Moving Beyond Me. If you didn't see Pastor Trevor open us up last week with this series, you definitely need to watch his sermon. It was incredible. He did a, a wonderful job. And uh, not just that, I don't know if you saw his sweater but uh, that is one of the reasons to watch it because it was killer. It was Pastor Trevor in his preaching sweater. Is this sermon good? No, it's better. You guys are distracting me. Let's pray and get started. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the gift, the graces of being together with each other in your presence. What a gift. We don't take it for granted. So we pause we open our hearts, our minds to you. Some of us are carrying heavy, unspeakable burdens. Some of us, our hearts are full of joy and lightness. Wherever we are, you meet us right there. And we thank you for that. I am flawed. This sermon is flawed. But you are not and your love is not. So speak to us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You see this recurring theme happen in movies and in story, and often it's something like this. The protagonist is invited to something that they can't do. It's a mission, it's a task, it's a quest that's bigger than them, and they get invited into it, and they, they kind of get up to this point, this pivotal point in the story where they realize they can't do it, but others around them believe in them and see that they can and often it's because they have to have an encounter with themselves as shown by looking at themselves in some sort of reflection. They come to a pool of still water, uh, they look in a mirror, and they see something that they've been missing. And then because of this, because of this, then they realize, oh no, I do have what it takes. I can go and I can do the task and the quest and the impossible. It's going to cost me my life, but this is what it was meant to do and meant to be. And they had to see something that they were missing all along because the way they saw themselves was limiting their story. The way they saw themselves was limiting their story and they had to get a new perspective on themselves. And if you asked me what is one of the ways that we can move beyond me, it's this. We have to see ourselves as God sees us. And we all have this blind spot. We're born with this blind spot. We don't see everything. So we have to have others speak into our life and the scripture speak into our life. But we have to see ourselves the way God sees us because here's the truth. The way we see ourselves is the way we show ourselves. Our self-perspective 
determines the way we live out our lives. And if I see myself as, you know, just super wounded, irredeemable, broken and flawed past, like who could ever use me or love me, then I'm going to live that story out. If I see myself as God's gift to the world, thank you, then I'm going to live that story out. And people around me will know how I see myself, because how we see ourselves is how we show ourselves. And today we're going to be talking about one of the most important things. God loves you. That's it. God loves us. And receiving and understanding his unconditional love is the only thing that's going to help us move beyond me. We're all born with this flawed self-perspective, but often some of us are loved better than others. And so when we're looking in the mirror, it's maybe a bit easier for us to overcome and, and live healthier lives. Some people were just really loved brokenly. And so the, the mirror that you're looking in just feels fragmented and shattered, and it's very difficult for you to overcome a lot of things. Some people were, were not loved well to another degree, right? They look, in the, they look in the pool, and like Narcissus, they love what they see. And they stay there. And they fall in love with their own image. And the only way for us to move beyond the small me, this ego part of me, this ego that says, I need strokes and I need kudos and, and you got to see how great I am. Or this ego that protects itself like, no, I can't let anybody in because it's just too fragile. And if you knew who the real me was, you might reject me. We've got to move beyond that. And the only way we do that is by understanding that God loves us as we are. And I know you say, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm already bored with the sermon. Like, I know this. I know that God loves me. I, I grew up in Sunday school and we sang, Jesus loves me, this I know. And you like that? That was in tune, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, I know it's old hat. Give me something new. Give me something deeper. Let's move beyond this. Let's talk about predestination and pedo baptism. Are you sublapsarian or superlapsarianism? I don't even know what those means. I just asked Pastor Emma for some smart words and she gave me those from Duke Divinity School. And we think, like, let's go beyond this. And I'm here to tell you, there is nothing beyond it. That's it. The love of God is the beginning, middle, and end. And often we think, oh, yeah, I, I get it. I understand that. There was a priest driving down the Florida coastal byway, true story, and he saw a young hitchhiker, a young girl, and he picked her up. She's probably in her 20s, and they're driving down to where she needs to get, and she starts to open up about her life with him, and she says, you know, me and my boyfriend, we're, we're coke addicts, and in order to support this addict sometime, he'll prostitute me out to his friends to support this addiction, and so uh, he, she started to open up about her resentment about her boyfriend and her disappointment about their lifestyle, and the priest turns to her and says, have you considered giving all of this up and trusting in the love of God? And very quickly but nonchalantly, she responded, oh, I know that God loves me. And non-judgmentally, she didn't know. She didn't know that God loved her. Do we know that God loves us? And one of my subversive goals in this talks, I guess it's not subversive anymore if you name it explicitly, like what's up with that? But one of my subversive goals here is to, to argue that we may say that we believe God loves us, but our lives tell otherwise. Our lives show otherwise. Irenaeus, early church father, said this, the glory of God is human beings fully alive, is man fully alive, men and women living full lives, 
Sin makes us subhuman. It takes the goodness of creaturehood and turns it in on itself. That's why Trevor did such a good job in a sweater talking last week about how redemption restores us to fully functioning humanity. We don't die to our created self. We die to our fallen self. And this is what Irenaeus is trying to get at, that sin makes us subhuman, but Christ's redemption causes us to stand up again, to walk a little bit taller, to dream a little bit bigger, to have our courage be out loud. Some of us need to hear this. God is not threatened by making significant people. He's not. He's got no ego in the game. He doesn't give us a light with the dimmer on it. He wants us to shine bright with what he's given us and who we've been made to be. And we do that when we understand his love and we live our lives based on it. We'll be in a few different passages this morning. One of them is Matthew 22, 37 through 39. You probably know it. It goes like this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment to love God. The second is like it. Love your neighbor. And then these two words, as yourself. Jesus assumes there's an assumption in these two words that everybody in some way, shape or form loves themselves. The question is, how well do you love yourself? I think he's saying this. We love others with the quality of love that we give ourselves. To the degree that we are able to open up and receive and allow ourselves to be loved as we are, to that degree is the degree that we will give love back to others. And some of you don't like the way that I phrase this, but I'm just going to tell you, I think it's right because... God's love is not flawed. It's not his love's fault. His love goes out like radio waves. And some of you young people are like, what's a radio? His love goes out like radio waves. You know, the, the, in cars, they used to make these things that would come up on the right side and it would go shoot up straight into the air. And you're like, what is that thing? It's an antenna. It's an antenna that was a receiver for uh, radio waves that went out across and it would receive them so that you could dial in and you could hear the song that you wanted to hear. God's love is not broken. It's not flawed. It goes out into all the world, to all people like radio waves. The problem is our receivers. It's our reception. And sometimes we think we're unworthy of receiving love, so we keep God out. Or we think, you know, I'm, I'm a survivor. I don't need God, I don't need this soft stuff, gushy stuff called love. Do it myself. So we keep God out. Our receptors are broken, but Jesus came to heal them. The love of God frees us from the stronghold of self. We're always going to have a self-perception. In other words, there'll always be a mirror there. The question is, is it a healthy version of what's going on? And if it is, then we will give back a healthy version to the world. The love of God frees us from the stronghold of self. First John 3, 1 says it like this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, exclamation point, his and mine. He says, see. Other translations say, look. Sidebar, I was listening to a guy, watching a guy talk about the love of God, and he had like a really angry face. And I was like, man, I feel like if you talk about the love of God, you shouldn't have an angry face on sidebar. He says, he says, behold, 
pay attention. What is this thing that God has done for us? And lavished is, is a great translation. It's, it's also bestowed. He's given us a free gift of grace. What John is trying to say is, it's one-sided. He makes the first move, and he keeps on making moves to show us that we are loved. And what does he say? That we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And if we're God's children, the Bible says Jesus is our brother. That's true. Hebrews says it. And in Hebrews, it also says this, that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed of us. Me and my wife have four wonderful children. We are not perfect parents by any means. We, we give uh, imperfect love, but we definitely love our kids. In fact, you know, we're saving up for their counseling sessions that they're going to need when they become adults. We have a fund for it. We're not going to be surprised by it. They come to us like, hey, I need some therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been preparing for this day. Like, what do you need? Right? But when they were young, we took them into our arms and we cradled them close to us. And we said this to them over and over and over again. I love you no matter what, no matter what you choose, no matter who you become, no matter the paths you walk, that will never change my love for you. My heart may be broken. I may feel disappointed, but I will never be ashamed of them. Why? Because they're mine. And we're his. And we belong to him. Nothing can change that. I was at CIU, and I was sitting in a chapel, and the love of God has been somewhat of a complex and challenging thing for me to understand, so I, I speak this as one trying to understand it myself. And I remember sitting there listening to a message on God's love, and I thought to myself, okay, like, I, I know theologically God has to love me. What I don't know is does God actually like me? The Bible says God loves me. Fine, I get it. But if God had to send someone a text and say, hey, I'd love to hang out with you on Friday night, would he do that to me? And I began to really wrestle with that. And I began to open in a breakthrough in a, in a new way that God actually delights in his creatures, as Zephaniah 3 says, that he sings and dances over us, not because of anything that we've done or what we could offer him, but because we're his. And he delights himself in us. And he doesn't just love us, but he likes us. That may be hard for some of us to swallow. I have John, John in 1 John says this word over and over and over again as he writes it. He says, beloved, beloved, beloved. He starts these sentences, beloved. Now the Greek word for beloved is agape toss. And if you've seen me wear a shorter sleeve shirt, I have the word agape toss tattooed right here on the inside of my bicep. I'm not here to advocate for or against permanent ink. I'm just saying I have a tattoo right here. And I got that because it's a struggle for me to remind myself, this is who I am. And the strongest thing about me is that I'm loved by God. The only thing that matters about us is that we're loved by God. John Egan was just an ordinary man 
taught high school kids for 30 years, but his soul was captivated by the love of Jesus Christ. He kept a journal. It was published shortly after his death. It speaks of a man flawed with profound weaknesses, but never for a moment did John believe that his sins could ever keep him from God. During his yearly silent eight-day retreat, try that one on for size, uh, the spiritual director said something at the end of this retreat, and John asked him to say it again so that he could write it down, and it was this. John, the heart of it is this, to make the Lord and his immense love for you constitutive of your personal worth. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. Our identity is that we are the beloved of God. Everything else is just illusion and projection. It's just illusion and projection. It's not about what you wear. It's not about what we have. It's not about how creative we are or intellectual we are. It's not about how much money we make or what school we went to or the pedigree that we have. It's not if we married up. It's none of that. Those things may describe us, but they don't define us. Woo! Are we preaching? I think sometimes we get that backwards. Like, the love of God describes me, but these things define me. It's not true. It's a very tenuous foothold. Every other identity is an illusion. Some of the illusions that we often think will give us love is one of people-pleasing. We think that, that people-pleasing will somehow give us the love that we need and deserve. And so we become the really nice guy or the really nice girl, and we don't really rock the boat. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't say what we really think. Someone more assertive or strong comes in. They give us their opinion, and we actually disagree with it. But we don't want to disagree with it out loud, so we just kind of, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And we go along, and we go along. Or maybe our schedule gets really full, but somebody needs help, and we don't want them to not like us or not think we're a good person. And so we say yes to a lot of things that we probably should be saying no to. And we become people pleasers. And then we wonder why at the end of the day, like we don't actually feel loved and we start to resent the expectations that we feel from others. What people pleasers, that part of us, what we need to hear is that God loves, God's love makes us secure. That we're radically secure in God's love. And maybe the most holy thing that we could say is no. I realize that just messed a lot of you up if you're a people pleaser. Maybe we have this illusion, this identity of tough guy or tough girl. Like I've, I've got my stuff together and I'm a survivor and I can do this on my own and I don't need any help and I can research it and figure it out and I can live my own life. I don't need advice or wisdom or whatever it is. And we got this armor up. We got this persona up and we look at these people and we're like, wow, they're so strong and they're so tough. But really what's going on deep, deep down is they're deeply terrified of being betrayed. And so they don't let anyone close and they don't trust and they don't risk vulnerability. But deep down, they're super alone. If that's you, maybe what you need to hear is God lo God's love makes you vulnerable. It frees you to trust again, to say, you know what? 
this is a really broken part of me and I'm super terrified to scare it because I've been burned in the past, to share it because I've been burned in the past, but I'm gonna share this with you and I'm gonna trust that you love me enough that you can hold it and not treat me any differently. Maybe we're the guilt-ridden and fearful. I can be a perfectionist. So I can have these really high standards for my spiritual performance. So every time that I break that, which is often, ironically, I get really guilt-ridden and I feel guilty and I feel embarrassed and I feel ashamed. And some of you know this cycle all too well. And you're like, oh man, that's tough. Yeah, it is. One of the things that we need to know is that we can't do anything to make God love us any less. No matter what we've done, no matter the skeletons in our closet, no matter the demons that we've faced and fought and maybe lost to, we can't do anything to make God love us any less. God's love is intimate. There's this beautiful line in Mark 16. You remember the apostle Peter, foot in his mouth Peter. That's my nickname for him, right? He's always all gusto, all bravado, and then fall on his face. Um, he d- remember, he denied Jesus, Right at the trial, the crucifixion. Hey, 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 I know you. I know you. You're one of his followers. I saw you guys at the restaurant the other day. Peter's like, Who, me? Wasn't me. You got the wrong Peter. No, no, no. I know you. You were over there on the shore. Y'all were fishing, casting a net, casting line. Y'all were talking. I know you're one of. Not me. Got the wrong guy. The third time Peter actually calls down curses on his own head. I don't know the man, he says. Peter denies his affiliation with Jesus. You may know the story. Jesus dies and resurrects, and when he resurrects, he reveals himself to several women, and this is, the, this is what he tells them in Mark chapter 16. Go show yourselves and tell my disciples, and then this, tell my disciples and Peter. Tell my disciples and Peter. His love is so strong that he knew Peter's shame and guilt was gonna keep him turned in on himself. And he didn't call anyone else by name in that moment except Peter. Friends, God doesn't love us in spite of our weaknesses. God loves us inside of our weaknesses. He knows everything about us, our flaws, our failures, our sins, and he says, I am not ashamed to commit myself to you, I'll put you on display so people can see. We can't do anything to make God love us any less. We can't do anything to make God love us any more. Can't do anything to make God love us any more. No amount of time in prayer, no amount of Bible reading or Bible scholarship, no amount of giving to the church, no amount of leadership or service in the church is gonna make God love us any more. If we never lifted a finger for God from here today out, his love for us wouldn't change. Thomas Merton, the Trappist monk, put it like this. Whether you understand it or not, God loves you, is present in you, lives in you, dwells in you, calls you, saves you, and offers you an understanding and compassion, which are like nothing you have ever found in a book or heard in a sermon, including this one. The love of God is unreasonable. It doesn't make sense. There's no reason to it. 
Listen to Deuteronomy chapter seven, seven through eight. And sometimes we get this notion of like, oh, New Testament's like filled with grace and God is love and Old Testament's like God is wrath and God is judgment. Please don't separate the Testaments like that. The Bible doesn't like it. God reveals himself as compassionate and gracious when he reveals himself in the Old Testament. Look at Deuteronomy seven, seven through eight. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Did you get the reason that God loves his people? I love you, and then here's the reason. It's because X, Y, and Z, this, this, and this. Did you catch it? It's unreasonable. I came across this card this week. I didn't buy it but I came across this card. It says, I love you because I'm assuming you get that and then you give that to your significant other on Valentine's Day. Not so subtle reminder, it's tomorrow. And you, I, I guess you take this and then you read why you love the other person and then you mark it and, and you fill it in. I'm already seeing flaws in this. Like you better fill in all the blanks, <laughs> right? Because that's the thing that your SO is gonna be like, well, you don't love me for that one? It's like, oh man. You know, but I guess you, I love you because you inspire me. You're beautiful slash handsome. You give me, you give me goosebumps. Like, you're weird? I don't know, that doesn't do anything for me. Like, don't check that box. You're weird, okay, thanks. Uh, this next one, I, I love you because you love to cook for me. If I checked that and gave it to my wife, not a good Valentine's Day. She'd be like, no, 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 no. You love me because I'm beautiful, I'm special, I'm unique, I'm one of a kind. Like, those are the reasons you love me. Yes, that's true, all those things. But this is a reason. I love you for this reason. Did you catch the reason in Deuteronomy 7? It's this, and it may not fly on Valentine's Day, but it flies in the Bible. I love you because I love you. It's circular reasoning. I set my affection upon you because I love you. I chose to love you because I chose to love you. Did you see that? It's incredibly subversive and freeing because it doesn't let us think for one second that God loves us based on anything we can do for him. That's how wise the Bible is. Maybe you've seen the recent movie Encanto. Based in Colombia, a lot of music in it. And it's basically about this story. There's these, this family that lives in Encanto, and every there's this coming of age for all these children, and they're each given, the bestowed a special, unique gift. And all of them have this unique gift that they're supposed to use to serve the community. And the community is completely dependent upon them and their gifts. And everyone, every child gets one except one, Mirabelle. And she's always wondering, like, why did I never get a gift? I never got a gift. I never, what's wrong with me? Why, everyone else has a gift. They get to use their gift. And the gifts were elevated so high in this family that they started to unravel because there was pressure. Everyone who had a gift and was using it started to feel pressure that they were only valued for their gifts and what they could do until Mirabelle starts to come in as a person and she starts to see the people not just as defined by their gifts, but as who they were. And she starts to connect with them on that deeper level. And then, the, and then the family actually starts to unravel only to be put back together again. And the whole point of the story is something like this. Don't be confused with admiration and love. People may admire you for your gifts, your talents, 
your successes, what you bring to the table, but don't confuse that for genuine love. That's admiration. Genuine love says, apart from all of those things, I love you for you, your hopes, your dreams, your quirks, your weirdness, like your fears, your brokenness, your authentic, genuine opinions and emotional responses. I love you for those reasons. That's a firm ground to stand on. To try to receive love based on admiration is a very thin ground to stand on. 1 John 4 says this, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God. Friends, when we get into trouble, it's because we're focusing on our feeble love for God. What the firm ground is, is that we fix our eyes on the unconditional love that God has for us. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is why it's important that we move beyond me. We have a healthy understanding of what it means to be loved because we begin to give that love back to the community and then it's mutual. You and I start to really experience physically what it means to be loved by God. It's in the hug from somebody else, the tears of someone else, of the body of Christ, the words from the body of Christ. This is supposed to be a community founded and centered and missioned on love. And we experience the love of God in and through community. Notice what he says here. If you ever doubt that God loves you, look to the cross. I love you because I loved you. Well, how did you display your love? Look to the sacrifice of the cross. Look to the nail-scarred hands. Look to the blood that flows down. Look to the excruciating physical pain. Look to the psychological torment and spiritual rejection that Jesus faced. Look to the cross when we need to understand the extent that God went just to show that he loves us, that he's thinking of us every day even when we can't think about him. We sang it earlier. When something says, I'm guilty, I'll point to the price you paid. When something says, I'm not worthy, I'll point to that empty grave. Edward Farrell was a priest in the 1980s. He traveled over to Ireland because it was his Uncle Seamus' 80th birthday, and he wanted to be there for it. And on the morning of Seamus's 80th birthday, they both woke up before the crack of dawn and they get up and they go out and they walk along the shores of Lake Killarney and they watch the sunrise in 20 minutes of silence and Seamus is just beaming. After 20 minutes of silence and the sun had risen, Uncle Seamus goes skipping off down the shores and his nephew runs along and says, Uncle Seamus, Uncle Seamus. And he says, yes, my lad. He says, you look very happy. He said, I sure am. And he said, do you want to tell me why? He said, I'll tell you why. Because my heavenly father is very fond of me. Oh, yes. My father is very fond of me. Do you believe that? 
Let me ask you a different question. Does your daily life show that you believe that? Do we believe that we showed up for prayer and God's just delighted to see us even though we hadn't been there in two weeks? Do we believe that God doesn't berate us because we can't think of him all day, every day, but he's happy and sure delighted to think about us? Do we believe that God doesn't criticize us or chastise us based on our performance or lack of performance, but he gathers us like a loving Heavenly Father into his arms and says, I'm so glad to see you. Did you know something? I'm very fond of you. Brennan Manning, one of my favorite authors when it comes to writing about the love of God, says this, the splendor of a human heart which trusts that it is loved gives God more pleasure than Beethoven's Ninth Symphony or the sight of 10,000 butterflies in flight. The splendor of a human heart which trusts that it is loved. What might happen if we left this place in unshakable trust that our Father is very fond of us. Maybe we walk a little bit taller. Some of you have significant trauma in your story. You might be, as Isaiah says, a bruised reed or a faintly burning wick. And the promise of the relentless tenderness of Christ is that he will not break a bruised reed or put out a faintly burning wick. He will strengthen you. Maybe you walk a little taller shoulders back, become a little bit more human, be courageously yourself, be defiantly and joyfully yourself. Maybe you have the faith and courage to be vulnerable. You take that armor off that's been protecting you for so long. It's a great survival skill. It's a terrible thriving skill. Maybe you let somebody into those broken places or you risk vulnerability by giving kindness, giving words, and giving touch to those that you love the most. Maybe if we trusted that our Father is very fond of us, our interior tone would change. Our interior life would change. It would move from condemnation to compassion, from fear to faith, from guilt to grace, from shame to strength. My friends, God loves us. There is nothing else. Let's pray. Father, we are limited by language. We, we try to express what it means to us that you've set your affection on us, but we just fall short. So we'll just receive. God, you love us in a state of disgrace or grace, whether we're filled with faith or doubt, whether right now, whatever sin we're struggling with, you love us. Father, some of us here, we really need healing in our receptors. It's just so hard for us to believe and to live as if we believe that we are accepted based upon someone else's 
work and someone else's performance and someone else's sacrifice. And we are really stuck in me. We need a breakthrough. Convince us that you like us, not just love us. Father, and I know the hearts here that is just, it's so calloused because it's been years and years and years of buildup and protection. I understand, and so do you. Please melt the defenses. God, I look out at the landscape of our world today and I think, what do we need more than a community who is willing to get in the ring and to get bloody for the sake of love? Help us. Let the church be a light today. Let us rise above those small me's and temptations to fight or to say those words that could hurt or win. May we pause for love's sake. And may we present an alternative, attractive story to the watching world around us that your love really is extravagant. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.